listening to The Agenda, exclusively on The Pod Station. Hello and welcome to um, the inaugural podcast for The Agenda, we in the West. I'm Councillor Andrew Gardner, I'm Councillor for Holaken uh, Mells, and with us uh, at the table today having a coffee and a cupcake are councillors Jenny Johnson for West Kirby and Thurston and my fellow ward councillor for Holika Mills, councillor Alison Wright. Um, the idea of this podcast is basically just to um, just to give more detail to residents of rural west on the, the things that are affecting everybody locally and the hot news topics that we have um, on the political and news agenda. So who's got something they want to bring up? I think Jenny might like to um, take a lead with West Kirby issues. Well, yes. Rectory Road, um, proposed development there. It's diocese-owned land, um, and there is a prospect of a care home potentially being built on that land, and that is a real concern for residents. Thousands of people have got together and created a social media site we're still waiting for pre-applications, so we have not yet got pre-planning um, application. We're waiting for that. Um, but that aside, the actual organisation that's hoping to build there has already sent out um, some glossy brochures and been in contact with a number of people. So even before um, we move into the consultation period, there has been a, a meeting of local people. Um, many, many people were there. And, you know, it, it is definitely a very hot topic locally. It's in the conservation area, though, isn't it, of West Kirby? It is, um, but nonetheless, it's owned by the Diocese of Chester. So decisions are not going to be made about the sale of that land, the potential sale of that land on a localised level, as would perhaps ordinarily be the case if it was a local owner. Um, and instead, it's it's being decided by the Diocese of Chester. So St Bridget's Church themselves, St Bridget's School, for instance, um, I know there are many people within those, those areas who are very concerned about the potential building on this particular plot of land. Yes, yeah, so the worry is it's like a corporate decision being made somewhere, you know, in a galaxy far, far away almost. Is that kind of, you know, that there's not a local element to the developer? Yeah, but I think they underestimate our area. I really think they underestimate West Kirby. West Kirby as a, as a region um, is, is full of people who are passionate about the place in which we live. There's a real sense of place about West Kirby, and obviously I would say that being a councillor for West Kirby and Thurston, but nonetheless, um, what I have seen and observed amongst the, the local residents is incredible. The fact they've got together at such a force of reckoning at this stage, even before a pre-planning consultation stage, I'm absolutely, um, I genuinely am astounded and, and very, very proud of our local residents. Um, that they're working, regardless of political affiliation, they're working together as a group of people. And I know us as councillors are on advisory and basis with them to help them as well. Yeah, I think it might be an idea just to explain to those people who don't know sort of the part of the planning process. So what a developer will often do if they have a, a bright idea or a landowner has a bright idea, they might go to the council for what's called a pre-app, a pre-application meeting, which can either be a formal one, which they pay for, or an informal one, which is basically just um, half an hour just to get some officer's opinion. So has this proposal had a pre-app yet? 
As or... far as I know, we're still waiting. It's still pending a pre-application. There's right. been a verbal consultation, apparently. Um, but then we are open to, um, obviously, our planning system within Wirral Council as well and the decisions that they might make or not. Um, and in this situation, it's the land ownership situation relating to Chester Diocese, as I say. Um, it's also about the locality and the fact at the moment it's, it's literally a field with horses on. Um, generations have enjoyed that. It's all part of the local community. Um, and, and it really is questionable whether this should be even considered as land to be developed on, let alone mm. go, go to the stage they're going to already. It's just around the corner from Ringer Bells. It's actually almost opposite um, St Bridget's Church on the corner um, there. And it is a, it's a piece of land which historically has been used just for the benefit of little children opposite of St Bridget's School. They come out and they feed a carrot to the, to the horses and they've been doing that for generations. So it really is a part of the old village, as we call it, the old part of West Kirby. Um, and if you start building there, then you really are taking the very heart out of our region. And it, and it is an area that should be protected, in my opinion. Um, but obviously, as I say, we are open to the vagaries of planning. And without a local plan, you'll know more about this than me, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Perhaps um, it makes it more difficult as well. Yeah, I think the local plan does come into it. I, I think most people aren't aware that Wirral is... Um I think the last major authority not to have um, drawn up its local plan, mm. that it was um, it's meant to start the process in 2005. It was meant to have done it by 2012. And here we are in 2019 working off the old uh, unitary development plan, which goes back to, I think, 1999. And of course, that is leading developers to be speculative and equally state agents to ramp up the rhetoric. And uh, somebody put to me something that was... Um, some farmland in mm. um, Frankby. That's all for you. Um, and the way the agent had worded it, it sounded like it was nailed on. You can get planning permission on this. Mm. You know, um, I read that know. too. And mm. what I, I would assure residents that that will not happen because wherever there is green belt, you still need very, very special reasons to justify your development. Um, so we do still have some protection, but really the council does need to finish that, that local plan. I think that sort of segues quite nicely into, I'll bring Alison in, because in Hoyleg we've got um, a rather um, a rather large development yes, going yeah. down, uh, uh, being proposed at Red Rocks. That's right. And the people of Stanley Road are not happy at all. They're not happy at all. Um, local residents are really, really, really worried about the proposed demolition of 37 Stanley Road, uh, known as Wirral Point, a very... I think a very smart, detached building in a very special place at the end of Stanley Road and the proposal, the planning proposal is for nine apartments on that spot and the proposal is a contemporary structure which in the view of many residents and also myself is in contrast to the many very, ham uh, very um, stately light buildings in Stanley Road to have such a building there is quite uh, shocking, I believe. Uh, and the demolition of the building, you know, it's a perfectly good family, large detached family house. Mm. It's in a, sig a significant position also. So it's in a conservation area, the Mells Drive conservation area. It's a building that can see, be seen far away. You know, I live in West Kirby and you look alone and you, see, you look down the coast there and you can see Wirral Point. 
So you'd already you would see this building, which is totally alien, I think, to the to the environment there. Yeah. That's close to Hilbury Island, as we know, uh, the Red Rocks uh, Nature Reserve with Natterjack toads as an environmental issue. I also think there is a concern about flooding as well. I'm in a flood, I live close to the coast in West Kirby, and I'm in a flooding area risk, and I think that could significantly be a risk there. I think it's because it's so alien to the environment, and also I wouldn't want to think that something like that could be built there, and then it would set an order that maybe other buildings could be pulled down and these contemporary style buildings uh, put up. Um, There is a public meeting that we're having because we feel that we want to uh, listen to the views of our residents, very much so. There's a public meeting on the 29th of November at six o'clock. So residents can come and have have their say. We really do want to listen and we will bring along, if possible, um, a planning officer from the council who will hopefully talk and, um, and outline the planning process. I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the two issues here, and I hadn't really twigged this before we got around the table just having a chat, they're both in conservation areas. That's right. What do you think? Yes, they're both in con- conservation areas. So, so developers are just feeling brave, aren't they? They are. And without, as you mentioned before, without the structure of a local plan, I think developers well, to my mind, are taking advantage of that. I, I know I'm stretching a point there, but I think they are. Um, I, I know I'm in, also involved with another uh, development that's um, in King's Gap, that um, they want to build a large detached house in the garden, which is totally overbearing for the garden in which they want to build. And um, there are also at least 10 objections to that. But there's a lot more um, that's also in a conservation area, the King's Gap conservation area. Uh, so we do have to watch these developments. It's very important that we maintain um, the character of our area. And uh, just building anything like the thinking of changing things is not going to solve anything. It's going to change our area significantly, I believe. And I personally will fight for that to maintain the character of this place, which I think is extremely important to us and to local residents. Mm. There's so much going on, but I think to give people some um, some faith in the system, developers will put it to officers, and we always say to officers if there is, you know, talking about Stanley Point, for instance, or sorry, Wirral Point, isn't it, Stanley Road? Yes. Enough people have objected there that it will be taken, the final decision will be taken away from officers and put to the council's planning committee. Even if they hadn't, as ward councillors, we still have the power and the ability to pull any planning decision to the planning committee. So there's always a, a, a next stage. But even the planning committee, even if the planning committee should you know, reject an application, the developer can then still appeal down to the, it's, it's a national national body is based down in Bristol and if they can make their planning arguments well enough to Bristol um, then it will go through and that's pretty much the end of the story so I would imagine that's you know both these issues if they if they get to that stage you know could well end up at, at Bristol perhaps and 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I am thinking also, we've been as councillors, been looking at the local plans, so we've been privileged to see that already, and residents are not able to actually access those plans, I think, till next January, next year. So we've been giving our opinions, um, been looking at our individual wards, and been, asked to, been tasked to think about where can we build. Um, and certainly from my perspective, from my ward, I'm looking at it, it's a very urban ward, and we have some beautiful green belt, which we are we have absolutely fought to protect. So there actually is very little space um, on the ground level uh, at all, really, within, within the particular ward. And so I think developers are now looking for areas such as conservation area and, and hoping to to beat our local plan i think there is something about that about that as well that this timing is really key for developers they're perhaps looking at this and thinking that we're all soon we'll have a good local plan in place i'm hoping um which will look very much to protect all of these spaces that we're currently talking about so i don't know you'd know more about this yeah, than me, yeah Andrew. It's, a, it's a good point jenny it really is that vacuum is mm. is, is is driving developers attitude isn't it Say that let's let's have a go at this. Let's is. get that in now. It certainly is. Because in twelve months' time there could be quite a rigorous plan in place that, you know, will absolutely stop mm. that day one, you know. That's right. Uh, it, it's off. certainly the it seems to be the sort of main um, point that developers are looking at that. And they want that's why there seems to be a flood of these in in these very, very significant uh, conservation areas. To trap the developers are trying to get something through before mm. um, the local plan is actually launched. And I think probably most listeners are now thinking, why on earth is we're all seven years late, and why, why are we working on a twenty-year-old plan? And the answer is, I've asked that question many times, and I've never had an answer off anybody. Um, I've never had a, a reasonable answer. It just seems to be a complete absence of leadership on it. In the past, I, 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 I don't know. Clearly, it's unacceptable, and right now, it's causing issues. And the other thing that was worrying me, as well as these plans within potential plans within conservation areas, is we used to have an effective moratorium really on landfill, and now it just seems to be that anybody can sell their garden, and it just you know there's one after another house um, popping up all over the place of places that we would never have expected um, planning to be granted for. So I think there is also something bigger here about landfill and and how that then is impacting our local environment, and invariably, I mean I used to live in St Albans, and I would say that. I'll be quite careful, I say, but in a sense, that city might be deemed to have been ruined in many levels by the serious amount of building that went on within the city within a very short time frame because nothing was involved in relation to the wraparound influence and impact of those of that building. So we had within St Albans, they didn't build a, a ring road, they didn't increase capacity at the station, they didn't increase the size of the trains. So we were getting earlier and earlier stations in the morning. We were getting we couldn't get our eldest into preschool. So there's a real sense that. Um, um, you know, the, the wraparound side of it, be it education, be it parking, be it roads, was simply not dealt with. And I think that that's what's starting to happen now. There's a creep, I'd suggest, in Wirral West at the moment, where many people are starting to move in um, and, and moving into these homes, but there isn't the, the facility um, to, to effect, effectively these facilities to match up against yeah, Exactly, that. that's what the local mm. plan should, should, do, yeah. should do. What is the local plan, uh, Andrew? Because some residents may not realise what it what it entails okay so every local authority is duty bound statutorily bound if that's the right word to produce a spatial strategy what you're going to build where you're going to build it how much building do you need where you're going to put your roads where you're going to put your shops where you're going to put the schools the hospitals 
the green space, ev- everything. How are you going to manage the, the whole um, the whole spatial future for the area? Now, the importance of this really came from was the 2012 National Planning Policy Framework, which did away with the regional spatial uh, bodies. The idea of that was was to put more power in local people's hands. Whether that's actually turned out that way, I don't know, because it doesn't seem to be too successful. But that was the idea. So instead of getting people, you know, um, you know, Quangos based in you know Warrington um, decided on Wirral's future, Wirral would decide it. And of course, the problem in Wirral is that it's failed to decide it. And we've, we've got no plan, um, and we're now having to work on it under the threat of government intervention. It's interesting that the plans come and, and you know starting to happen now, and that we do have an interim chief executive. Um, so that's starting to he's really changing things, I'd suggest, and, and shaking things up maybe. Yeah, I th- I, we have got new energy in the council. That is true, and I mm. think you know people will ask, you know, why is it? Why would we all have no plan? Mm. And as I said before, I've asked the question. I, I really don't know. I, I wouldn't want to get too political as a Conservative councillor and start saying we've had a Labour administration <laughs> since, <laughs> since 2010 and they were duty bound to do it and they didn't. But that's pretty much where it is. You'd have to ask you know, the previous Labour administration why they just didn't bring it forward and they just don't provide an answer to that. I don't know. I'm lost. And that's before we even start talking about Hoylet Golf Course, isn't it? Mm. Oh, the golf resort, yes. Golf resort. Um, I think we'll save that for a, a special edition one day, <laughs> shall we? Um, but on the subject of Hoylake, I would like to bring in the, the other big thing in Hoylake now, which is, is the beach. And it's a very, very complicated uh, area, uh, the beach. And I do appreciate people have strong views, um, both sides of it. But we are very confident that most people in Hoylake wish to retain a sandy beach. And that's what we're trying to work for. Work towards. I think we can do that ecologically. Um, currently, the state of the beach is because the council um, aren't going to rake it this year. Currently, although we're trying to put pressure on that to make that happen. Where you hear people say that it's the environmental agenda and there's the ecology there is a risk. I have to disagree with that because the ecology that is on the beach is as, is there as a result of 50 years of beach management. So. What we have there, we have grown ourselves by the management of it. So to say stop managing it to save um, you know, the ecology and the waders and the invertebrates and all the, vis- the visitors that come there from an ecological point of view, um, just, it just doesn't stack. We are altering the beach by inaction and that is having a bigger ecological effect than just carry on the management plan, which we're duty bound to do because we have an agreement with Natural England to, to do that. So we're breaching that at the moment then with Natural England? Currently the council has an agreement to, to keep the amenity beach free of grass and it actually says in the management plan that if you keep the amenity beach uh, free, it, that creates the intertidal area for the wader population. And what, what's happening currently then? I've seen it's grown a lot recently. It's just been left because the, um, the, the, council, the officers in the council are of the opinion, as Andrew has described, that it won't be raked. It was sprayed according, in accordance with the uh, plan um, with um, Natural England, but then there was this refusal to rake the beach, so it's just been left. 
Yeah. And they bought a tractor or something. I thought. Well, bought... yeah, I, I would caveat that it's not an officer decision. Officers are under instruction from the cabinet well, yes, member too. for mm. environment. Yes. Yeah, mm. oh, sorry. Um, yes. We'll come on to the cabinet. We, yeah. we can probably wrap up on the, the cabinet because that's actually <laughs> very important for people to understand the changes that are coming there. So who who knows? You know about more about this than I do about the issues or about the spraying. What people are saying locally. Well, the spraying, and I think, you know, everyone's on the, the green agenda. I don't think anybody would want to spray or do anything more than was necessary to maintain that environment. Uh, but council did take a decision to stop spraying glyphosate, which you can buy in B&Q, you know, and other outlets are available, dear listener. It's called Roundup if you buy it in the shops. So... Hasn't that been banned some places, though? I thought it would no, it, it? It's only been banned by really green-led councils where there's a green administration then it's, it's been banned I think. So it sounds like there's a lobby group amongst yeah, maybe absolutely, here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know there's you'll hear lots of scare stories that it's cancerous and it it is on the World Health Organization cancer list but it, it's up there with you know hot drinks and red meat and, and that sort of thing you've got to have really really high exposure for a long time for it to really have any effect on, on mammals and you know, it, it only affects plants really. It's not. Um, it's like not like an old-fashioned as it used to be in the dad shed paraquat or something. You know. You know. You you can't actually. It's not poisonous in that sense to to humans. And so, so one of the things I found hard hardest about being a counsellor is listening to all views and not just a few vociferous views. Um, and sometimes those that are against things are very, their voices are very loud, aren't they? Comparatively, maybe to the rest of the population who think differently. So what are your views yeah, on that? Absolutely, well? there is always a, a silent majority. Majority, that's the point. Yeah. There is that mm. silent majority. And we feel as councillors that the silent majority would like to see a managed beach, mm. as has happened over many years. Yeah, and it actually it's, links It links back into local plan issues and spatial does. issues it because does. the Victorians who who built North Parade and that side of, of, of Hoylake, um, you know, they, they reclaimed land there mm. and they didn't create any green space with that. I mean, you know, to be honest, you couldn't swing a cat in Grove Park. The amenity space was the beach. That's it was true. designed to be the amenity for the properties and the housing they were mm. building back mm. in 1890. Um, seven eight whatever and we're very interested in the visitor economy aren't we as well so yeah so what are the alternatives there must be some other ways of managing a beach other than spraying have, you, have they looked at this, this across different parts of the uk and worldwide well there's, there's there's two issues there the spartina grass that is the real invasive stuff that if it really really takes hold will be almost impossible to get rid of really does need um you know a herbicide put on it issue that's really bugging people in the minute is like sort of the meadow grass that's on the beach that can just be raked away you know that's a that's a different kind of of, mm. of of risk you know to the beach but in terms of going forward i think to be honest the, the, the real point here is you know we can all agree that we don't want to use harmful chemicals on the beach but what is the alternative and we shouldn't really go playing around with standing agreements agreements we've had for 10 years with natural england until we've established the alternatives what's happened is mm. we've stopped all actions on the beach without an alternative mm. that's the real problem here that's right so the alternative the alternative management should have been discussed before rather than just a blanket stopping of this process that's what's causing the problem as andrew said and it is the cabinet that have made these decisions and of course officers are just following along with that but at the end of the day the alternatives should have been looked at yeah, carefully yeah. 
and there is a £50,000 brand new machine sitting there waiting to do the job. Now that to yes, me is absolutely that. outrageous. Out of everything I've heard this morning, that is one of the most outrageous things. And to me, that's the sort of thing, having been in council for a short time, um, it really typifies almost what, what can be and has been wrong with, with this council. Um, who would spend that sort of money? That's taxpayers' money going to a piece of machinery that should be used on the beach in alignment with what um, Natural England are asking us to do. So it sounds like we're out, out of alignment with, with what we're being tasked to do by Natural England. We're not using that piece of machinery and therefore we're also wasting a huge amount of taxpayers' money. How dare the council do that? Who, who's making that decision? Well, we all know who's making that decision, don't we? Um, and, and again, you know, we want this, this podcast to be you know, as neutral as possible. However, it's for Wirral West and nearly all your councillors in Wirral West are Conservative councillors, and certainly Hoylake Mells through West Kirby into Thursday and Greasby, Frank B. Irby um, are all Conservative. However, the decisions are made at a cabinet level, mm. and at the moment, the Labour uh, councillor for Bidston is making these decisions on the beach because we have a, a cabinet system. However, there is light at the end of the tunnel because that system is going to change next year, and that is due to last year's election where... Um, the makeup of the council changed and there isn't a group in overall control now so all the other parties were able to force the incumbent Labour Party's hand to change the system from the cabinet system where essentially 10 councillors make all the decisions to uh, go back to the committee system where all 66 councillors on Wirral have equal equal rights and say and votes um, through committees that will decide. So decisions won't be made behind closed doors anymore. It will be a lot more transparent and a lot more democratic. I think one of the first meetings I went into, and obviously I can't say what happened within that meeting, was a closed meeting. And I was quite shocked to think that here was I in a democratic situation being elected. And one of the first things I was asked to do was to keep silent and not tell the residents what was actually happening. Um, obviously, I can't go into any details about that. But there is something anti-democratic about this current cabinet system where it's not proportionate we're meant to be no overall control and yet we have one party having all the cabinet um, heads and hence having all the power so we're purely advisory in many ways but I think the positive aspect of, of what we've done and I think that's partly why we've been able to do a committee system uh, we've been questioning that we've been questioning that entire system absolutely and that has now that will change next year we, we know that that was yeah we've, we've forced the hand there indeed uh, and things will be um, better maybe better but at least more transparent and that mm. to me is is the big thing at least people will know who is making the decisions mm. and why they're making it and they will happen and those people have to stand by the decisions so yes. issues like the, the local plan right. and we won't go into detail on the golf resort because there's a there's a podcast episode all of its own there all those decisions were made behind closed doors um, three or four years ago uh, by 10 people mm. that's the major point that um, decisions will be more transparent and that's every power to the residents the people who elect, elect us every power to them so that we uh, are more accountable and politicians should be more accountable to the people that have put us in this place and they're the people that are paramount and they're the people we serve mm. absolutely i think um I don't know about your, your cup, but mine's now run dry, so yep. I think yes. we, can, we can perhaps look at uh, 
uh, uh, wrapping up. But I think as a final point, obviously we are in an election period at the moment and we don't at any point want this podcast to be about national politics, but it is a national election. And we would urge anybody, um, no matter what your political persuasion, just to engage in the democratic process. So thank you both for, for coming in. Um, I hope this podcast is uh, so it's our first one. We're feeling our way a little bit, but I hope um, people can get something Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Pod Station. Get social at the Pod Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.